Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severa. On a program today, three down, three to go. January 6th committee's got a few more hearings scheduled for this week. They're going to focus on former President Trump pressuring state officials in a few places. Nick and I will discuss. Plus, the revisionist history book tour rolls on, Nick. it's That's not the name of it, but I've given it that name for a former Trump administration official. May not be the one you're thinking of. More on that in a bit. Plus, later on in the program, the amazing, the talented, the dashing. And when she listens to this, she's going to email us saying, you guys are too much. <laughs> but she is fantastic. You know how much I love that word, folks. From PBS's NewsHour, Chief Correspondent Amna Nawaz is going to be joining us to discuss more of the January 6th stuff, some of Amna's reporting down in Uvalde, and what's the latest details on the bipartisan framework on gun legislation as another shooting happened just last week at a church in Alabama. If you're scoring at home, Jesus, man. I mean, we have lost track of that. Uh, first, I say hello to the talented Nick Severi. Nicholas, how was Father's Day? Happy belated Father's Day to all the fathers that listen to this program. How is everything with you, my friend? Good. Yeah, same. Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, Thank you. It was, it was a good time here, but uh, I, I echo your, your resignation with... Um, with gun violence, I've, I've lost track. It was great for an episode to produce that statistic, but now, yeah, I mean, we're 21 weeks into the year since we had that episode. And I mean, I've, we've just lost count as to how many times we're going to go through this now, most recently a shooting. Yep. In a church, I, think, I, mean. I think 22, I'm, I'm not sure, but anyway, I mean, I saw that and that, you know what, that got the attention of what, maybe a day. I mean, it's been backburnered so much uh, i was laughing because as, as uh, I, I was waiting for you to hop on the zoom and I, i'm just going through a couple different websites from cnn msnbc fox and newsmax newsmax and pbs news hour okay just take a this is not part of the first segment but just listen to the way that news is structured across these sites all right ready cnn uh talking about at the header you know major airlines canceling flights kellyanne conway discussing her interview that she had on Smirkonish this past weekend. You got some stuff on North Korea, blah, 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 blah. 
MSNBC, you got the January 6th stuff. You got Biden heading to Saudi Arabia next month. White nationalist and LGBTQ, what happened in Idaho. Then on Newsmax, you ready for this, Nick? On Newsmax website, who killed JFK? The conspiracies. America burning. The big media ignores riots and chaos in the wake of George Floyd's death as the 2020 election looms. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And then (laughs) on Fox News, a huge picture of Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton suggests hot button issue among progressives should not be a priority for Democrats. And then right underneath it, they have a four box right under their header. Payday. Liberal city hikes minimum wage to $22 an hour for municipal workers. Is that a bad <laughs> is that a bad thing? I mean, <laughs> I was just cracking up. I mean, I thought that would be funny for our audience out there. I've told you so much to diversify news sources. Four different sites out there. If you want to consider Newsmax a site, sure, we'll throw them in there. And that's what the four of them are covering. And again, you have people that are siloed in what they watch. And they, the people on Newsmax are watching, you know, right now, Nick, uh, you know, big, big media lying about the 2020. Right. I mean, you, you can't make it up anyway. I didn't want to get your takes on that. I just thought it was funny as I was waiting for you to hop on. Let's get into our first segment here. Um, the January 6th committee this week, if you listen to us on a Monday, this week, the committee will have a couple of hearings uh, Tuesday and Thursday, I believe at one o'clock and 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check your local listings as to who will be covering that. But January 6th committee is is halfway through its carefully scripted series of hearings. They're laying out the findings from the 10 month investigation Uh, upcoming this Tuesday will be more on Trump pressuring state officials in a couple different places, specifically in Georgia. You know, the the pending case that is still up for review there and what the attorney general in that state is doing and, and, and looking into, you know, Trump pressuring uh, Brad Raffensperger, the the. Uh, the state general, I believe at the time, uh, and and what he was pressuring him to to do in terms of finding 11,000, I forget how many votes it was. Uh, so the committee will be talking about that this week. We're going to talk about that in our next segment with Ana Nawaz, who's been covering a lot of it for, for PBS's NewsHour. But uh, Nick, quick takeaways on what's coming up for the committee and what you've seen, heard so far from the committee laying out some of the evidence and even DOJ saying, hey, it's time to send some of that over here because we want to take a look at that as well. Yeah. I mean, to the first point, um, the word I use is measured, you know, hearing the, the words of uh, Representative Cheney, Representative Kinsinger, Kinsinger and other members of the committee. This is just a well, I'd argue, a well thought out, uh, structured breakdown of all the evidence. Uh, and we saw this on the first night. Right. Like you'd have commentary, you'd have statement played by a media clip that sort of backs up these interviews. Uh, And that's kind of what's going on. The DOJ thing is especially interesting because I think for many of us, we've been sitting, we've been observing, you know, Attorney General Merrick Garland taking what seems to be a very measured approach with going after people regarding January 6th, uh, doing any form of investigation. And for many of us, the wondering has been, what is the holdup? You know, we saw most recently with Mark Meadows and like nothing's happening. Like, is it like, is should justice really be in the department's name at this point? Because we don't seem to be seeking any of it. And now we're starting to see the long game that Garland's team may have been playing. Again, this is just speculation on my behalf, but the the sudden interest, it began actually with that comment that Garland um, had said about we're watching or I, as he had said it, I may be missing some portions 
of the hearing, but our team is watching it. And he says it sort of, you know, half kiddingly with a smile on his face. And it starts to sink in for the viewer that this may be what's been holding things up, that the attorney general's office may have been just sitting with, let's have the evidence played out in front of the American public, because to go jump ahead of it and start prosecuting people, trying to seek indictments, you'd have to go pull up evidence that may not have been released yet by the committee because they're trying to go through the way they're going through. So there seems to be something running parallel here. And this seems to be organized, you know, in, a, in as hot takey a time we're in, which is also true about the previous administration, as reactionary as they could be, we're seeing a very different approach here uh, from, you know, from Biden's attorney general. And again, pure speculation, but I think I'm on to something here. It seems like there was a domino waiting to fall that the attorney general was hoping to see before starting to begin his, his and his team's pursuit. You know, one of the things that I thought uh, was pretty damning from from all of this that has come out, um, we talked about in a few in an episode prior about Bill Barr saying, you know, BS and, and stuff like that. And some of the things that he said on, on record, um, one thing that they, the committee recently did was show how close Mike Pence was to actual protesters. And we mentioned this on, on a previous episode. Boy, you know. <laughs> Everyone that's looking back at this and living this revisionist world of like, I wasn't that bad. It's a dust up Jack Del Rio's dumb comments, you know, 40 feet away from, you know, the second in command of this country potentially being harmed. Um, you know, I, obviously, I don't wish for any harm on, on former Vice President Mike Pence, but man, it would have at least at least when we're talking about this event in the silos, like I just gave you of those four different outlets and what they're showing right now coverage wise can you imagine if something had happened to the vice president of the united states in this country would they be running that would they be running the jfk conspiracies right now or what would they be running on on that television set um so you know that i, I want to leave that there because speaking of revisionist history uh and somebody who is close with mike pence um one of the things that i've been noticing that has kind of drawn my ire. And I reached out to you about this, Nick, in our text chain. I'm like, we need to bring this on the show because part of it is her fault and part of it is other people's fault. And I'm going to explain in a second. If you haven't heard, there's a Trump administration official who's on a book tour. And no, it's not Bill Barr. His already happened. Now it's Kellyanne Conway, President Trump's former senior advisor, who was once upon a time his campaign manager. She's now on a book tour everywhere from CBS Morning News. She was on The View recently to The Daily Show uh, doing all these interviews, talking about a book uh, and some of her time spending there working with Trump. She gets into her husband, George Conway, the former conservative attorney. He's still a conservative, but um, the, the former attorney who uh, how their relationship has kind of played out in the media circles. And everyone's just not remembering, speaking of revisionist history, not remembering some of the major gaffes that Kellyanne Conway had during her time in the Trump administration. I want you to take a listen to some of these interviews that she's done across the media sphere, because again, part of it is her fault, obviously, but part of it is people allowing this to continue to have a platform. Take a listen to this. You find out in these public service jobs, Trevor, that you can help make a difference in people's lives. And I think that many of the Trump-Pence accomplishments have done exactly that. We were better off 
economically, energy-wise. Putin was not in Ukraine. Iran no, was not no, salivating no, no. at Forgi Israel. Forgive, the list goes wait, wait, on. forgive me. No, no, forgive well, me. Forgive How me. much did you pay for no, gas today? No, 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 forgive me. Forgive me. Because you, you're doing the thing that you're very good at right now. And that yes, is... speaking the truth. No, and that is not, not answering the question that I've asked you. And I, I really, I don't want to have a confrontational conversation with you because I, I, when I was reading the book, it felt like more of a conversation yes. with you as a person. So, okay, let me, let me ask it this way. So, here you have a situation where in the book, you talk about how you were oftentimes a voice of reason in the room. I, you know, I have no reason to not believe that. You talk about in the book how you said to Donald Trump, hey, you lost the election. You have lost this election. Well, what I actually said was, we were talking about the December 14th deadline. That was the date by which the electors would certify the election. Right. And they were about to certify it for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. And in the six weeks prior to that, I had long left the White House, but in the six weeks prior to that, the president and his legal team were trying to find proof of theft and fraud and malfeasance and shenanigans. And I think there are many unanswered questions from 2020 we'll, we'll never know. But the main thing you said to him but was? But I said to him, you're coming up short. It looks like you're coming up short for that certification date. Thursday, the January 6th committee revealed that Pence had come within 40 feet of that mob on January 6th. Do you blame Donald Trump for any of that? I certainly blame the people yelling, hang Mike Pence. And I would think that given he's the vice president, there are federal laws in place that would be able to prosecute some people criminally. And I am all for investigating what happened. I am all for prosecuting people who committed crimes. I've said that from the beginning. I said that on live TV on January 6th. I'm very close to Mike and Karen Pence. And I am, I, I hope, uh, feel as chilled as anybody in in reading that. I've known some of that for quite a while also. Um, I'm also very proud of what Donald Trump and Mike Pence accomplished together for this country over four years, and that will not be washed away. Okay. it's <laughs> a lot there. Um, those were two snippets from her interview with Trevor Noah on The Daily Show. You can check that out on their YouTube channel. And then she was on Smirconish on CNN, which is a Saturday program at 9 a.m. And you can check that out. Obviously, check your local listings on that one. And, and on CNN.com, you can check out the full clip and interview. Um, I'm taken aback by like I said, <clears throat> I can't blame Kellyanne Conway for wanting to write a book. I can't. And she's entitled to write a book. That's that's not the issue. <clears throat> I've mentioned this a bunch on this show. You're allowed to be a Republican. You're allowed to be conservative. You're allowed to be a progressive Democrat. You're allowed to be a moderate Democrat, whatever you whatever you want to be, whatever your fancy is. However, where we where we tiptoe uh, and disagree and I'm using air quotes on disagree because we shouldn't be disagreeing. This is right versus wrong. Kellyanne Conway <clears throat> is the person who coined the phrase alternative facts. Nick, how many times on this show, this is a rhetorical question. How many times on this show have I said that this is not Mike Leon's facts? This is not Nick Savary's facts. This is not Can We Please Talk's facts. They're the facts. <laughs> They're the facts. In everything that you just heard in that snippet, she could not answer specifically that Donald Trump did have a hand in maybe not inciting the violence that the committee will get to that and the DOJ will get to that. Sure, the people that showed up are, blame, are, are mostly to blame for what happened on January 6th. No question about that. Here's the problem, Kellyanne. They came to a rally that the former president of the United States tweeted about, okay? Stop the steel rally. Nothing was stolen. N-A-S-E-D, 
said that this was the most secure election in presidential history. Over 60 plus cases were thrown out across states and the Supreme Court decided not to hear a few because of lack of evidence. In a public courtroom, when they were asking Rudy Giuliani, former President Trump's uh, attorney, about how many people, campaign workers, were in the room counting from a Republican and Democratic side, he said there was a non-zero number of Republicans. (laughs) And the judge said, what the hell? I'm paraphrasing. What the hell does that mean? Was there somebody in the room for a Republican side or not? And he goes, yes, there was somebody in the room. You need to be able to understand and articulate this dancing around that, oh, there's there are some things that are still unsettled about, you know, the 2020 election. What's unsettled about it, Kellyanne? This is the Jack Del Rio thing. This is the problem I have. I don't have a problem with her being a Republican. I don't have a problem with her being a, a conservative. Tons of people orbit me that are of that leaning. That's not the issue. The election's not stolen. Kellyanne, the election's not stolen. There's no such thing as alternative facts. Those things are not true. And now my ire is with these networks and really the publishing houses that are deciding to, A, give her a platform to continue this nonsensical train of thought that she has had across the numerous gaps that she's had from Bowling Green Massacre when she says she misspoke, but she said it about four or five times about a a massacre that happened in this country that didn't. When she said alternative facts about Sean Spicer saying that the crowd size for President Trump's was the biggest in inaugural inauguration history. It was not, obviously. And she said, oh, he just offered uh, alternative facts. That is not a real thing. So now I've got publishing houses that are allowing this type of nonsensical thought to continue. I have networks that are saying, yeah, come on over, because we remember how terrible you were in your role as a senior advisor in terms of communicating to the American people certain things. But yeah, let's have you on because now you're promoting a book. And everyone's to blame for this. CBS News had her on, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. It's not about dialogue and conversation anymore. These you know, Kellyanne went on Bill Maher and said, we can't even talk to each other and meet. Yes, we can talk to each other. If the two of us are aligned that the facts are the actual facts, if the sky is green to you and the sun is uh, yellow, Oh, the sun needs to be yellow. <laughs> if the sun is red, you and I can't have a conversation. And furthermore, we should all be chastising you and outcasting you for believing in something that is universally accepted as a fact and is proven to be a fact. That's my huge issue. I couldn't believe when I'm seeing on some of these programs that I watch. I watch CBS this morning. I watched Smirconish on Saturday mornings. I like Michael Smirconish. Why is Kellyanne Conway on your show? Why are you giving a platform to somebody that you know has openly lied when they were a former official? It makes no sense to me. Again, I can't fault her for writing a book, but I can fault these companies for saying, yeah, you were so bad at that. And you were so, uh, I have no other word than to say a liar. Let's put it on paper and then let's get you out there as if nothing happened years ago. What the fuck? I never curse on this show, but when I saw that, I'm like, look, Bill Barr is one thing. We've had Ellie Honig on the program who wrote a book about Bill Barr. He worked for the DOJ. 
he has intricate knowledge of that. And whatever with the Justice Department, with Bill Barr, I'll let the legal scholars talk about that. I work in communications, okay? (laughs) I can't have Kellyanne Conway out there on a book tour on these networks when she should be publicly chastised. Those comments we just played in that in that little montage, she literally cannot say that the former president of the United States held a rally for something that doesn't exist. The election wasn't stolen. Kellyanne, just say the freaking words. Why are we allowing this woman to continue to have a platform to voice this nonsense? Nick, I want to get your thoughts because that was one of the things that I, I, I saw that over the weekend. And I'm like, are you seeing this? This woman is everywhere this past week promoting a book that no one should buy. I'm not trying to take money out of people's hands. No one should buy that book. That book is fairy tale land because she literally can't admit that January 6th happened because somebody organized a rally for something that's not real. I turn to you. There, there are a couple of things there. First, you know, to have Trevor Noah in that clip you played, you say, I don't want this to be, you know, I don't want to be a confrontation. Go to hell with that. Right. When someone presents lies and has done it professionally, you don't meet them with kindness. You meet them with directness. If someone doesn't answer your question, then you call them on it. For her to come out there and then start to spin the BS of, well, you know, under Trump and Pence, things are so much better. Tell me where. I'm willing to hear the conversation about China, but in matters of LGBTQ plus, A plus, in matters of the Department of Justice and how it was handled, basically very similar to what the Germans had done with the brown shirts. Let's put it like that. She's a liar. Mike, you've talked about this. I knew, see, I know Mike so well because the alternative facts comment from way back when, uh, it's just such a trigger word for you. And it should be. I think for any student from a school of journalism or any person who believes in the truth to have someone present to you the idea of, well, those are my facts, your facts. That's that's Joseph Goebbels level bullshit right there, folks. Goebbels, by the way, was the propaganda minister for the Nazis. Always be mindful of that. But let's go academic for a minute. I want to take you all through a very simple search I did as Mike was sharing his piece. So let's start with the book itself. So Conway's book is out. I went on Amazon because I was curious. The book is published by Threshold Edition. Who's Threshold Edition? Well, simply Google search. You will find that they are owned by Simon & Schuster. Who owns Simon & Schuster? Great question. Even better question. It happens to be that they were bought in 2020 by, wait for it, Viacom. Who's Viacom or what's important about Viacom? Well, Viacom owns or Simon Schuster, the parent organizations are the following. Penguin Random House, Paramount, CBS, ultimately under the banner of, wait for it, Viacom. Folks, when something appears on television, ask yourself a very simple question. Just follow money. I just showed you all a very simple search I did. Go ahead and connect the dots. Now, if she had been, if her book had been published by another publisher, does she have this same stretch? I don't know, but it is awfully interesting that the company that owns CBS is the same, one of the same networks that's giving someone that we all know is full of shit a platform. It just mutually benefits everyone. I'd like to ask Trevor Noah, was there any pressure 
from the network to have this person on because of who owns your network. Now, he may say he has full guest vetting ability, but even his guest vetter may say, hey, listen, Conway's on the car wash or whatever analogy you want to use. I'm using car wash. It's an ESPN analogy that Mike knows very well. And it's not as tight as that sort of scenario. But that starts to it starts to raise a lot of questions for me when I start to do a little digging on who owns what. And the scenario or the model I just played out for all of you folks is a really helpful one that I learned you know, in my classes at, you know, at Rutgers and our School of Journalism. And it's something I would ask all of you to do. Simply follow the money. If you're fans of The Wire, you've heard that phrase before. Shout out to Lester Freeman. Always ask yourself why. Why does this particular person show up on that platform? And if you do enough digging, you may find there's a financial relationship, in this case, between the publisher of her book and a huge, huge media conglomerate that owns multiple outlets. This isn't an accident, folks. This is simply just money playing itself out. Big bank take little bank, right? That was Ice Cube's line once. You're seeing it here. Here, I do remember also Sean Spicer getting a little bit of that of that of that wash treatment, shall we say, getting on yeah. Dancing with the Stars. Yep. We have this weird ability to do rehabilitation tours for certain people, not all, certain. And in Miss Conway's case, we seem to be very comfortable with the fact that just a lying, <laughs> just a lying jackass, you know, who spun her bullshit on the White House grounds regularly, suddenly is able to just put something out there that we're all supposed to read and take at face value. The second you say alternative facts, I've checked out and I have no reason to read it. And I would say to anyone, if you are reading this book, I would at least ask you to do some homework. The stories that she tells, you may want to see how that connects with what Bob Woodward may have observed, because his books certainly are based on a lot of study in what's going on in the White House. Is it confirmed by what Bill Barr had observed? There's a lot of things to pay attention to, but if you're simply just following, you know, Kellyanne Conway, um, I'd ask you why. <laughs> I don't think there's anything you know remotely um, agreeable about that person who would use her position um, and just basically go along with a story. And we saw again the, um, and I'll wrap here. You know, that ability just keeps spinning the bullshit. You're asked a question about your book, something that's pulled from your book. Instead, you're going to go back to gas prices. Folks, the president doesn't dictate gas prices, period, end of sentence. Do some work. Understand that the numbers don't add up. It is simply what is simply just, and yes, there is a war going on in Ukraine that plays a huge role in this. Don't be naive enough and think that the president of the United States is the one who sets policy on prices. That's not how we do things in the United States of America. Perhaps in the communist country, yes, but not in the capitalist one like the one here. With all that being say, said, I turn back over to you. Now, listen, I mean, a couple of things there. The ESPN car wash is what that means is a guest would come on and we would put them through the litany of ESPN shows all across, you know, Get Up, Sports Center, et cetera, et cetera. She's doing uh, a similar version. She's going across different networks, which I found interesting. So uh, good research there by you on the on the publisher. And again, you knew she was going to align with a big publisher. I think you and I even spoke about this uh, maybe a couple of years ago before when we started this show, when we talked about there's going to be people from the Trump administration that are going to want to write books. They're all going to come out and they're going to want to write books. And one of the things that I love about being here is 
And I've said this a bunch, and maybe it's through the filtered lens of you and I, as me as a former news producer, I don't want to have people on that are disingenuous. I don't want to have Kellyanne Conway on. Alternative Facts sets me off because the first, first episode in this program's history, we talked about what Newt Gingrich said in, in, I think it was June of 2015, when Donald Trump was about to become, you know, the Republican candidate. And he's on an interview with Alison Camarota on CNN, and he's talking about crime in major cities. And she gives, Allison gives police statistics from the major bureaus of Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, talking about murders, homicides, manslaughters, et cetera, et cetera, year over year and how the statistics were down. And he goes, yeah, well, those are your facts. And she's like, I'm sorry. These are not my facts, my man. Okay. I'm paraphrasing here because I want to get a little, a little rough around the edges. She was like, these are from the police bureaus. This is not my facts. And he goes, yeah, but you keep your facts. I'll roll with my opinion. It carries more of my constituents. And when I heard that, I, I, that was a land. Nobody heard it. It was probably at 830 in the morning. I can't imagine anyone heard it because nobody remembers this. And I remember where I was. And I said that if that catches fire, people are going to use that. People are going to be like, yeah, I can just make up something else and we can run with it. And we've, and in the next segment, a perfect segue, because Ana Navas is going to talk about some different things that happened in Uvalde, for instance, that caught fire all of a sudden. And then she starts going down the rabbit hole, her and her producers of vetting this stuff. And it's like, oh, that's not that, that's not even remotely close. And what happens, Nick? Social media catches it. And now hundreds of retweets, likes. And even if it's taken down and retracted, it doesn't matter. It still lives out there. It still has permeated maybe people's thought process. I am, I'm disgusted. I don't, you know, I I try not to use these words strongly. I obviously have working relationships with a lot of networks right now, but I'm, I'm ashamed of people that are allowing, again, it's not about political leanings. It has nothing to do with that. You know, it has nothing to do with that. If you're listening to this program, it has absolutely nothing to do with that. You're allowed to be a Republican and a conservative. If anyone's telling you they're not, they're an idiot. You're allowed to be a progressive and, and a Democrat. You're allowed to be whatever you want to be on the political spectrum. That is not the issue. You're not allowed to make up. And she quoted Mike Pence being a friend. Maybe she should rewind the vice presidential debate because Mike Pence literally said it a bunch of times to Kamala Harris. You're, you're entitled to this and that, but you're not entitled to the facts. Kellyanne, you're not entitled to the facts. OK, it's, it's that simple. January 6th happened and it was predicated off of a lie. Literally, the rally said it. And the banner stopped the steal. The election wasn't stolen. So this is all a lie. Why am I here? Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm really embarrassed by some of the networks that have given this woman, you know, an, an, another fresh, you know, rebirth and a cleanse as if nothing happened over the last four years. And we don't remember some of her uh, ridiculous moments out there. Anyway, I want to transition because in the next segment, I already teased it, but she is fantastic. If you watch PBS's news hour at 6 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, you will recognize this person. She's the chief correspondent over there. And she's also an MSNBC and NBC News contributor. I'm the Navaz. When we come back after the break, it's going to break down everything with the 1-6 committee and the hearings coming, the gun legislation, the framework. There could be a breakdown in that. I can't believe it. And then also her fantastic reporting in Uvalde. Amna, after the break. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. 
How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. The presenting sponsor of this episode of Can We Please Talk is Athletic Greens. Nick, athleticgreens.com. Now, come on. Everybody knows you've talked about it on the show, how good it is, how it's helped you. You're looking lean, mean for the people watching on YouTube. Tell them about how Athletic Greens has been helping you. Yeah, uh, I'm now about, I think, a little a week and a half into my subscription. So it comes in great packaging, by the way, the colors, the logo, they they get this right. Um, In addition to that, I got Mike's going to probably talk about this in a moment, but travel packs. You know, it's easy Mm -hmm. enough to get the bag, but the bag is what I'll talk about here. Got a great bag. It's about 30 days supply. One scoop, 12 ounces of water. Shake it up in the bottle that they'll provide you, and you will feel fantastic. I'm at a point now where I don't start my day without it. And they recommend starting on an empty stomach. So as soon as I get downstairs, while the coffee water's brewing, and you know how I feel about coffee. We do. I'm pounding my athletic greens, feeling supercharged. Coffee just gets me straight. And I'm I'm good to start my day. I can't I can't start my day without it, Mike. Nick loves Athletic Greens. We love Athletic Greens here. One delicious scoop of AG1, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right, just like Nick mentioned. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, the energy that you have throughout the day, folks, recovery, focus, aging, all of these things with one scoop, just one scoop, Nick of AG1. Uh, Listen, folks, right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. No need for these different pills and supplements that you're looking out for your health. You don't need that. Athletic Greens has got you covered. And by the way, to make it easy for being a listener of Can We Please Talk, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash emerging, E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. Again, athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. You don't want to go to that? Click the link in our show notes. That'll take you right to there. It's time to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I've been telling you about this guest for the last couple of weeks. It's a big guest, okay? I, I just gave her an intro off air. And I'm going to bring it over to here. Uh, she is a chief correspondent over at PBS's NewsHour, so you can check her out. Check your local listings wherever that NewsHour airs. She's also a contributor on NBC News and MSNBC, and that is Amna Navaz. Amna, Mike, Leon, Nick Savary, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It really is a pleasure. Amna, you know, I, I was mentioning to you um, off air, and, and when we reached out to you why we wanted to have you on, you had been doing such a great job covering a lot of the stuff happening in Uvalde. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second, but I wanted to get to something that has been you know, front of mind for the nation, obviously, with the primetime hearings and the January 6th stuff. Yeah, um, we, we discussed this in our last episode when uh, the committee had the Thursday night uh, primetime hearing. Since then, they've had a couple subsequent as of this taping. There's been some damning testimony that we've seen released, you know, like Bill Barr calling the allegations of fraud, uh, BS, uh, Bill Stepien, you know, Ivanka Trump and some of her words to even John Eastman trying to request a pre-pardon, which I didn't even know you could do. Um, what do you make of so far the way the hearings have gone for the committee? And ultimately, I think, and I don't want to speak in generalities, I'll speak in actualities. 
myself, I, I look for finality in something. Yeah. Where does this net out now that the even as we're taping this, the DOJ has announced that they'd like to get some of the records and, and, and all the interviews and all the documentation that the committee has had and send it over to DOJ. Where do you see this eventually netting out? So, so one of the things I'll say, watching the committee lay out their presentation day by day, because I think the big question going into this was, all right, after nearly a year of all this work, right, of, of you know, tens of thousands of documents they've been going through, over a thousand interviews, witness depositions and testimonies, like what do they have? How are they going to do this? And to see the way the committee has been laying out in narrative form, very detailed arguments, pulling very specific quotes and clips from each of those tape depositions. It's, it is, no one can accuse them of not doing the work. You know, like the details are all there. The facts are all there. They are laying out their case in an incredibly, uh, an incredibly strong way, regardless of how you feel about it or whether you believe it or not. And that's a whole separate issue, right? But um, there are two pieces to where it goes from here. And one is entirely speculative. And I don't even want to go there because the big question is like, will it change anyone's mind? Look, the truth is, I think a lot of people who look at the committee and say, this is a partisan exercise, they are out to get former President Trump, they're not going to listen to this, they're probably not watching or reading any of the coverage. And so that's, that is what it is, right? We're not going to change that. We know where people are in this country. But honestly, the bigger, more important piece of this for me is the national security part of it. I mean, we had the most violent assault on the U.S. Capitol in over 200 years. And for the sake of our country, our democracy, like regardless of which side of the aisle you sit on or how you self-identify or who you vote for or any of that, we should want to figure out how that happened and we should do what we can to prevent it from happening again. And the reason I say that too is not just because of the domestic threat that we know that exists, but also the rest of the world watched along with all of us as that happened. And the U.S. Capitol has now been seen as a potential target. There's just like, there's a whole world of worries that national security experts have when they saw what happened then and when they see what's happened since. And I think for that reason alone, both for the historical record, for, for you know, what the story is that we will have in our history books for years to come, both for the truth, right? Which is like, that's what I deal with. It's facts and the truth, but also for that immediate piece, for, for the questions it raises about national security. I think it's important that it gets out there. I, as a journalist, am curious about the facts as they've uncovered them. And you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, DOJ, the Attorney General Merrick Garland has now said they're watching, right? The federal prosecutors are watching. And so we will see we will see what comes next if there is any kind of criminal investigation that, that comes after this. Well, you know, on, on the subject of the Department of Justice, you know, what's going on right now with their recent requests, does that connect for for everyone, for you all in in reporting with what we've seen over the past year? Most recently, Mark Meadows and, and an associate not being called to question, no further pursuit of what at the time felt like anything. From, from DOJ, with what we're seeing today, does that seem to fill in the, the gaps with what we've been all wondering about, the lack of activity from the Attorney General's office over the past year? I think you know a lot of people who are close to him, who've watched him work, will tell you Merrick Garland is very deliberate, he's very intentional, he's very cautious. And 
I can tell you from the White House perspective, they have kept such an arm's length distance because they don't want to be seen to be interfering in any way, like no political interference whatsoever. They saw what happened with the previous administration when former President Trump or then President Trump rather had a very active role in what Attorney General Bill Barr did or didn't do, was very public about what he wanted the Department of Justice, his Department of Justice, as he put it, to do or not do. And this president has come in and basically said, like, it, they are independent. I'm not going to interfere in any of this. And that's also why you don't see the White House weighing in day to day on any of the proceedings or revelations that come up in any of these hearings. But I, so I, that's one of the reasons actually I found it pretty striking that Merrick Garland did come out after one of those hearings and said, we are watching, our prosecutors are paying attention. We know some of those requests have now been made. And, uh, you know, I think in sort of the abundance of evidence that has now been uncovered. The big question was, what do they have? What do they have? We know what they have. They have so many people who were closest to the president that we know if all their testimony is accurate and true, we're telling him, you, you don't have this. You know, this. the votes are gonna take a while. Uh, you should not say that you won the election. Um, judges are, are, are shooting down and dismissing and saying there's no merit to your fraud claims. Your legal advisors are telling you not to do this. Your political advisors are telling you not to do this. And yet then President Trump and a handful of his advisors persisted with this. And so there is something there for Department of Justice prosecutors to, to, you know, to at least look into. And I think it'd be increasingly difficult if they continue to lay out that kind of evidence for the Department of Justice to not act in some way, whether they move forward with a criminal investigation or grand jury or not, for them to not say, we are looking into this. Amna, you know, I want to pivot to uh, why I originally reached out to you. The rash of mass shootings that have happened in this country, obviously you were down in Uvalde, foots on the ground there, uh, to what happened in Buffalo, California, Philadelphia. I mean, Nick and I did an episode three weeks ago that was titled 19 equals 199. And that was for 19 weeks equals 199 mass shootings. And since then, as of this statement, there's been 254, so almost you know, 50, 60 more that have happened throughout this country. Um, I want to get into the Ovalde one specifically since you were covering a lot of this. And you know, there's a lot been made about the police briefings out there, the ongoing investigation, the 78 minutes before anybody actually went into that classroom. And you know, obviously now the Texas House has opened up an investigation, DOJ is opening up an investigation. Can you take us through a little bit of your reporting down there in Uvalde, what you were hearing uh, from these pressers of, of like the missteps that law enforcement did? Like, where do you feel some of this will also net out ultimately in, in getting people some type of closure as to what happened there and why it took law enforcement so long to act? Yeah, it, it's it's a great question. I'll tell you, it's something we're still kind of getting to the bottom of, I think. Um, but on the ground, Look, I think the most important thing we can say about all of this is like these are horrific events to cover, right? They're horrific in every possible way. And they are unnatural and cruel and just just awful to cut. And that's to cover, right? I'm an interloper there and can't even imagine what it is for the community to be going through what they go through and the families to be going through what they go through. And so you start with that, right? Like we show up as journalists usually when people are experiencing the worst moment of their lives. And there's really nothing worse than a parent losing a child in this kind of cruel and sudden way. And so that's where we start. And then on top of that, I think when we get there, the job is to just try to get to the facts. 
and you talk to as many people as you talk to, there's no good way to approach someone who's just lost a child or um, someone who feared that they'd lost a child or, or someone who lost a wife or a, 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 a relative. It, there's just no way to do it, but we do it. We reach out as respectfully as we can. We talk to everybody could in the area, witnesses around the school, we reached out to as many law enforcement as we people as we could. And, and I'll tell you on the ground, from the beginning, we were getting a lot of conflicting stories. And I think there was an important lesson for a lot of us as journalists in this, which was we need to treat the official narrative that we get as one narrative, not the narrative, but one narrative that deserves rigor and skepticism, just like any other narrative that we're taking in. Because there was a lot of pushback on people saying, well, you can't necessarily trust witness, eyewitness testimony, you know, people who've been through a trauma don't always remember things correctly. And that's probably all true as well. But we saw how quickly, literally within hours and within a matter of a day or two, how quickly the official narrative just completely unraveled. And things that they were telling us about the narrative, about the bravery of the police officers, about how this was a barricaded subject in a room, about how there was just one classroom. None of those things were true. And it took people asking questions and it took other narratives. It took, it took an 11 year old girl, right? It took an 11 year old girl saying out loud to reporters, I was there. He saw me. I covered myself in my classmates' blood to hide from him. He went between the rooms. I was calling police. I heard them in the hall. Like, I know everyone out there has heard these stories, but I think the the lesson, the takeaway for me from all of that was um, we have to listen to everyone. I mean, the truth doesn't come out immediately. It's not the thing that you get as soon as you land, and it's not the first story that you get. But the more you pull and the longer you stay and the more people you talk to, the truth will always come out. And, you know, it was, God, just for the, for the families on the ground, it was the worst possible truth, right? It was that this was all completely preventable. It was that the people that they called to help them didn't do what they were trained to do. And as a result, you know, probably kids died because of that. Um, kids who might have gotten medical attention and been saved in the intervening minutes. And, you know, now there's investigations and now we'll follow up and we'll see what happens and, you know, what changes as a result of that. But it, it doesn't change what happened on the ground, which is, you know, that another American community has been forever changed. An entire generation of kids there, most of whom survived, let's not forget that, right? like hundreds of kids survived and left that school but now have a memory of that day or lost a friend or know someone and they will have to live with this for the rest of their lives. Um, you said you use the word we as you were breaking down <clears throat> your experience, but it's hard. I can't help but imagine we, in this case, as you use it refers to coverage in general, in terms of just journalists, anyone who's been involved in the storytelling. And when you talk about focusing on a primary nav narrative, Without getting into outlets, good, bad, or otherwise, has your experience as someone covering this and also paying attention to the coverage that there has been a following down rabbit holes or just different narratives that have 
as a as a professional in journalism that probably should have taken a little more time and space and research before we before others gave airspace to stories that we're finding out over time probably didn't work out the way that people were telling it as you mean were was there bad information getting out there early yeah i think i think that's kind of what i'm getting at i mean there look in I was a war correspondent for years. We talk a lot about like the fog of war and, and and misinformation and disinformation campaigns and all those kinds of things. Bad information gets out there. You do what you can to, to not let that happen. I, I think in this case, because so many of us went with the original official narrative, you know, officials are telling us this, this, and this, and that was in the first day. And then it later proved not to be true. It was almost that much more devastating because the actual truth was so far off from what they'd originally told us, you know, but in, you know, that we were there for about four or five days on the ground in the beginning. And even from other officials, I think, because everyone was working so hard to, to get to the truth, which meant interviewing dozens of officers who were all on the scene, interviewing dozens of witnesses who all live around the school and had their own stories to tell, people who were shooting video, right? People went live on Facebook from outside the school as parents were trying to fight their way in and all of that stuff coming together. That's that's all going to take time to sift through and triangulate and all of that. And we're picking up the pieces and trying to make sense of them and connect the dots in real time. And it's an imperfect practice. It, it truly is. But I can remember even on the ground, some officials, I think there was a congressman who at one point went out and gave an interview and said something about how the alleged gunman in this case had been previously flagged to authorities because of a threat he'd made in middle school. And people started running with that narrative. And when we called around to kind of check it out, it took a little while, but a number of officials then batted that down and said, that's absolutely not true. There, there were someone, there were a couple of people who were involved in this threat when they were in middle school, but this individual was not one of them. So you had, you know, you had little pieces of information like that that could potentially take on a life of their own, either because people are so anxious to be the next one to get the scoop and, you know, to drive the story forward in some way. Um, this is one of those stories, I think like a lot of stories where the practices and, and the policy and sort of the culture at NewsHour, which is like, it's way better to be right than to be first. Um, they, they really serve us well because that bad information out there is just, it doesn't serve anybody, especially when you're talking about people who just lost kids. You know, the last thing you wanna do is cause more harm or more hurt to any of them. So I, I feel that pressure. I know a lot of my other colleagues. I can tell you working across every single network, I know very, very good journalists, every single outlet, very good journalists who practice this the same way, which is you show up, you dig as hard as you can, you ask the questions of as many people as you can, but you do lead with this sort of do no harm. You know, you don't want to make it worse than it is on the ground. Very well said. Um, I, I had a follow up on that, but you actually kind of touched on it. So let me pivot real quick, because obviously at the central core of all of these mass shootings, and I've said this on the program before, it's not a rap CD. It's not a video game. Okay. It's not a CRT textbook. Unfortunately, it's a gun. Uh, the bipartisan compromise between the 20 senators, 10 Republicans, 10 Democrats, with Senator Murphy and John Cornyn leading kind of this uh, what do you make of this legislation, the framework that has been agreed upon and the subsequent voting that will happen in the coming weeks? But then also there's chatter about this isn't enough. It's a start, but it isn't enough. I would love to get your take on the framework around 
what this does uh, at a federal level. And then to the people that say it's not enough, what, what, like what more do they want? Right. Uh, so I would love to get your take on both of those things. I mean, let's start with this. There has not been meaningful legislation when it comes to gun violence prevention in America for almost 30 years. Right. So more than a generation has gone by in which Congress has not acted in a meaningful way to address what has only been a worsening gun violence problem in America. And it is a uniquely American problem. No other nation on this planet has this problem. And it's a problem, right? Gun violence. And we did a report just a few weeks ago. Time is a flat circle. I apologize. Maybe it was months. I think it was a couple of months at most um, about how gun violence is now the leading cause of death for children aged zero to 19 in America. That deserves a, a moment. Yeah. How, are we okay with that? You know, is, is that the country that we want? Is it, are we, are we happy with the, with, with those statistics? They've surpassed motor vehicle deaths and, you know, people in the space you talk to, and I talk to a lot of people, I talk to gun rights advocates, I talk to um, people who uh, want drastic reforms when it comes to um, gun access in America. You talk to a lot of the experts who I would call sort of in the middle on this, who just look at the data and say, God, if you just look at how we brought down deaths with motor vehicle deaths, we studied the data, we looked at the evidence, and we put into place very specific measures that addressed each of those data points, and we, and we got it down. That's what we did over time. Over the last 20 years, those numbers have just come down. We have not done the same thing with gun violence. We just haven't. And so I think there was some, obviously we all know what Senator Chris Murphy has been through, right? After the Sandy Hook shooting, we know he's been on the forefront of calling for some kind of legislation. And for anyone who saw him on the Senate floor after the Uvalde shooting, you saw that this was a man who was suddenly sort of repossessed with that energy to say, if we don't do this now, when are we going to do this? And I think a lot of people looked at what happened after Sandy Hook and said, if you can't do something after 20 children are murdered in their classroom, when can you do something? Um, but I think Chris Murphy kind of standing there and saying, I'll talk to anybody. I will, I will talk to anybody. Just show up and bring me your ideas and let's talk and get something done. There's been a sense that this could be the moment that something gets done to break the logjam. It will not be enough, not nearly enough for the people who've been calling for greater measures for a full-on assault weapons ban to raise you know, the legal buying age from 18 to 21, um, to ban or limit high-capacity magazines. I, we should expect none of that to be in there. But then there are some who say, you know what, because there hasn't been anything done, any progress is amazing progress. It just shows that something can be done. But I'll tell you, as you, you guys and I sit here and talk, it was just today that there were reports that those talks were led by Senator Murphy on the Democratic side, Senator Cornyn on the Republican side, that Senator Cornyn walked out of the talks. That he basically said, it's time to fish or cut bait. You know, we are where we are. Our reporting shows that they're kind of centering and circling this idea of how to incentivize states with federal funds to either enact or bolster existing red flag laws, which would basically empower judges and authorities in a state to say, we think you're a risk to yourself or others. You are no longer allowed to have a weapon or you are not allowed to buy a weapon. And wherever they are in those talks, Cornyn said, we're done. You know, either Democrats are trying to push too much or I'm not happy with where these are going. We know there's no red flag laws in his state. 
So now we wait. I mean, there is, they're, they're right on that precipice again, where we are far enough away from the tragedy that some of the emotion has died down. It's really, they were trying, I think, people who wanted to get something done to use some of that momentum and energy to say, let's get something done and show America we can do something. Uh, but it always carries the potential of falling apart. Um, and I think a senator walking out of the talks will either force them to do something in a much more limited fashion quickly or, or nothing gets done again. I'm glad you brought up the the relationship between the at the federal level and the state level because when I was reading through Senator Murphy's tweets uh, last week when he was just go, taking us through the different items of what this proposed bill would be, a lot of it did strike me as sounds great, but you need state level enforcement. A state that doesn't want to participate, well, you know, take, not taking on federal dollars, what are they to lose here? In what you're seeing in the reporting and especially with the reactions of other senators, it seems somewhat muted on on really the right in this case, because normally you have folks that balking at this. And it seems somewhat quiet on that side as these talks are going on. Is the perception from from others reporting and yourself included that that there is a mulling over among the party about this, the feasibility of this bill of being in general, OK, as a, as a Republican senator moving forward? I think there was a general sense after Uvalde that if nothing got done, the American public would basically look at Congress and say, what are you even doing? Like, if you can't even do something after this, what can you get done? And I think that fed a little bit of energy, particularly on the typically more reluctant conservative side to say, okay, what can we do? What can we do? And, and the thing of it is, I go back to data again and again. Like I'm a I'm a data nerd, right? So you you look at the places where red flag laws are in place, and we go back again and again to Florida, right? Florida had that horrible um, Parkland school shooting. They put into place red flag laws, and we know in the years since they put that into place, thousands, thousands of weapons have been confiscated temporarily held or you know not been able to be purchased by people who were deemed to be a risk to themselves or to others by judges there like that's happened thousands of times now we we know that and so gun violence prevention experts will look at that and say see like it's working it can work and i think if it can work in a state like florida they say some version of this can work other places. And again, it, it's not everything. I mean, it's not nearly what people who've been looking into this for years would say we need to do. But if, if you can't break the log jam somehow, if you can't, after 30 years of basically not doing anything meaningful on this, if you can't move forward with even a half step on this, I think there's a real sense within um, particularly senators on both sides of the aisle that the American public is, are really going to start to, um, I mean, not that they already haven't lost a lot of their trust in the system, but it, it's really going to chip away further at that. But the other issue is, and I hate to bring it back to politics, this is like the cynical side of me kicking in, there is a midterm election looming. And that has to be a calculation for many of them. And this is not it's not a huge issue for most Americans. It's not gonna be the single voting issue for most Americans. That is also a fact, right? Polls have shown that, history has shown that. And the further away we get from 
these kinds of events that tend to get a lot of attention and a lot of outrage, people's interest in them also tends to die down. And so I don't think we can discount this very cynical political calculation that is also going on as part of these discussions. Um, and which is why people like Senator Murphy and others say, okay, we have to get it done quickly. Otherwise we won't get it done at all. Amna, before we let you go, you said something there that I just want to touch upon because you mentioned, you know, some of your foreign correspondents and um, we've made some parallels between the U.S. and uh, abroad in terms of guns, in terms of other politics, left, right, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that I found striking recently was uh, that British reporter who had asked Ted Cruz about American exceptionalism what do you make of American exceptionalism? You've been across the pond. You've covered things across the way. Uh, I think there's a tendency, especially for my family that lives in, in, in Galicia over in Spain, that they always come back to me with the, what's going on over there? Why are you guys like that? Right. And it's in Spanish, it's better and it's more articulate. But <laughs> what do you what do you make of not only the exchange between Senator Cruz and that and that reporter, but American exceptionalism, describing to something that we're the we're the best in the world but we're also the worst in the world at a bunch of different things that we don't you know take ownership of guns being a prime example what do you make of american exceptionalism especially since the coverage of what you've done across uh, overseas you know that's a it's a very complicated topic i'll i'll say this uh, i'm i'm first generation american uh, my parents came here in the 70s from Pakistan. And the way that my sisters and I were raised here was, um, you know, kind of a split existence. Like we are, I, I'm American, right? And, and I know that because when we'd move to Pakistan every summer, as we did, people there would tell me like, oh, you're not from here. Like you are very American. Although when I was here, everyone's like, where are you really from? You're obviously not American. So um, I recognize and I understand and I am deeply grateful for how wonderful this country is. I am. I, I would not have the life that I have. I would not be able to practice this work that I love to do. I would not have um, you know, the opportunities that I have, that my daughters now have, the marriage that I have, all of these things without this nation. I, I know this to be true. I do. Uh, and I look at the path of my family and in two generations, you know, we went from my grandmother who was married off to a man 12 years her senior as a teenager and grew up in the village and didn't finish her education to me, who is here on a national news network, like moderated a presidential debate like that, you know, not that those kinds of things don't happen in every country. And I know that at the same time, my job is about the truth. And I think we are in a period of American history where we're taking a hard look at the truth that we tell ourselves about this country. And that goes not just to where we are in relation to other nations about, you know, where our education system ranks, um, how, how do we prioritize American lives over American civil liberties or other rights that we believe are enshrined in, in our constitution. Um, it goes to how we view our history of racism. It goes to how we talk about our history of racism and who we are and how we got to this place uh, in our country's history. And I go back again and again to um, something I remember talking to Eddie Claude Jr. about, who's a wonderful writer and, and uh, you know, thought leader in this space and a professor and 
um, we spoke a lot, particularly after the murder of George Floyd. And I remember him saying, you know, we have to tell ourselves the truth. We have to tell ourselves the truth about who we are. And I think we're struggling with that as a nation. And I think there's a lot of opportunity in that struggle and that chaos and that turmoil to come out of it better and to better live up to the ideals that we've set out to the story that we tell ourselves of who we are and what this nation is. But we are not there yet. Like we are not there yet. And I think a lot of things have shown that to be true. I think about what it was like to stand outside the Capitol building on January 6th and see people storming up those stairs. And I will tell you that is a scene I've seen many times in other countries. I've covered those stories around the world. And I said it on the day during our live coverage, I never thought I would see that in America, but I did. And it tells us that we are not immune from the same issues that have plagued a number of countries around the world since the beginning of time. So what may set us apart is how we choose to move forward from here. Very well said. Listen, I said it at the onset, you were one of my favorite people to watch across the media spectrum. Uh, you can check out PBS NewsHour every night at 6 p.m. or check your local listings on that front. And you can catch Amna on NBC News or MSNBC as a contributor. Amna, I am forever indebted to you coming onto this program. I feel uh, so much smarter now that I've heard you speak and I can listen to you break down issues and topics like I do all the time. And, and your audience is extremely lucky and should be grateful to listen to you break down topics and stuff like that. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Continued success to you. And please stay safe. Mike and Nick, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I appreciate your time. Nick, the summertime is approaching. People start moving out of their houses, whether it's renters or people buying a new home. You know what they're going to need, Nick, by any chance? Aside from movers, boxes. Exactly. And how fortunate you come to the Grammy Please Talk podcast, you want a discount on something. Our sponsor, usecardboardboxes.com, is the best way for you to get easy boxes shipped to you with all the supplies that you need to make that move very smooth. From medium, large, extra large boxes, whatever size room, house you have, you can go on their website, click on our show notes page right now. There's a link there for usecardboardboxes.com. You enter in the kit that you want to purchase, and then at checkout, you enter in the promo code new customer, all one word, new customer. You're going to get 5% off of that purchase. Head to usecardboardboxes.com today. All right. That our thank yous to Amna Navaz there. Like I mentioned, uh, PBS NewsHour, check your local listings on that front. I believe it airs at 6 p.m. every night Eastern time. Uh, and you can check her out as a contributor on NBC News and MSNBC. She said a bunch of things there. There's so many topics um, that she's covering that she's had a hand in Uvalde, the January 6th stuff, you know, what she's talking to lawmakers. You heard about that she was there on the steps of the Capitol reporting on January 6th. Um, that's crazy in itself. But then, you know, some of the stuff that she did in Uvalde, she did a story with, uh, I think there's a mom from the Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting that has gone to different cities. When a school, when a shooting happens, not, it doesn't necessarily happen to happen in a school, but, and she, she did an interview with this mom and the mom tries to go to cities to comfort people. She's like, I hate this job, but I don't want my daughter's legacy to die. And I feel like this is the way I can help. 
like, and, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't want to quote word for word what the woman said, but she says something to that effect. And it just kind of like, first off, she lost her, her 16, 17 year old daughter doing a routine act of going to a movie theater, which is crazy in itself. But then to have like the, the courage, I don't even know if that's the right word. I don't know a synonym for it, but to be able to travel to another city and just, you know, like, Hey, I'm here for you because this happened to me. Right. And you're probably saying, should I have taken Remember, school was about to end that Thursday. If you recall, like, should I have just left? You know, like people are going to wrestle with themselves about what happened that day. And at the end of the day, it's really about the access to guns, the legislation in this country. Like these things are preventable. Right. And the fact that this woman, Anna, did a fantastic interview, you can check it out on her social channels or on PBS's site. But it, it was like off of that, I reached out to her. I said, listen, I would love to have you on the program to talk about a, a wide swath of issues. Uh, g- Nick, give me as we wrap here, give me some of your takeaways on not only the interview, but even some of the topics that Anna touched about. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that stands out is in her discussion of the media. Um, there's a there's a reality of getting it right. You know, we live in a social media age where reporting is constant, and sometimes it's not factual or it's based on false premise. And she respectfully did a, just does a great job of just being very open about across outlets and the different stories that were coming out. And she was just taking us through, or she gave the important detail about focusing on the narrative. And seeing that through, and not following different pathways for stories that are not being that are not being proven correct. There's not enough behind it uh, that it's worth reporting in earnest. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate her reminding of, of just what a core ethic in journalism. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I also thought some of the comparisons to what you hear overseas versus, you know, American exceptionalism. You know, um, it's a big thing. Uh, so check out Amna's reporting across the networks that I mentioned there, PBS, NBC News, MSNBC. For this show, video, you want to see what Amna looks like. Maybe you haven't seen what Amna looks like. You want to watch a video of this interview, check out our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk, and you can check out all the video interviews of, of the fantastic journalist correspondents like Amna that have been on this program. Uh, audio podcast platforms, please, folks, wherever you listen to us across Apple, Spotify, Google, if you can leave us a review, five stars, Please, it helps boost us in the algorithm there across platforms. Uh, shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. We cannot do it without them. I want to shout out to uh, my friend Elena, who has texted me saying that she goes to us for news and information other than the media now because she said, you know, I just can't watch the news and I think you guys do a better job. So listen. If I can thank one fan, I always thank the thousands of listeners that we have across this show, but I can thank one in particular. Thank you so much for saying that. We could not do it without you guys. We really try our hardest here to keep everybody informed, educated, and talk to people who know what they're talking about. As always, I am Mike Leon. Ginny Thomas, go before the hearing. On behalf of all of us, I'm Nick Saveri. Have a good one, everybody.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.